Marini's Media. Hello, it's Lindsay here. In a change to the normal billing, we've decided, as the England-Germany game was called off, that it was a perfect opportunity for us to do an Offside Rule exclusive. Joining me to chat to our guest is editor of She Kicks magazine, Jen O'Neill. We hope you enjoy this in-depth interview. So let's hear more about today's guest. Natasha Dowie was practically born with a ball at her feet. Her footballing pedigree includes dad Bob, who played non-league, and her uncle Ian, who managed internationally with Northern Ireland and in the Premier League. Since signing for Watford as a teenager, Natasha's career has taken her across London to Fulham and Charlton. She then moved on to Merseyside, playing for both the red and blue halves of the city with Everton and then Liverpool. A brief spell in Doncaster was followed by stints abroad, first in Boston and then Melbourne, Sweden and Norway, and now to Italy with the mighty AC Milan. She's won the Women's Super League title twice, finishing the 2013 season with the Golden Boot as the season's top scorer. Been named in the PFA's Team of the Year and she's lifted both the FA and League Cups. It's hello, good day, ciao, whatever language she's used to right now to strike a Natasha Dowie. What language are we in today, Natasha? Definitely English. (laughs) I had my first Italian lesson yesterday and it wasn't very successful, but I'm slowly getting there. Wow, you would be going through so many of those Rosetta Stone courses if you were signing up for all of the places that you've been, I would imagine. Yes. And I, t- to be honest, this is the first time that I've really committed to trying to learn a language. Um, I've signed a two-year deal here and a lot of the Italians, they struggle with the English side of things. You know, Norway, Australia, Sweden, America, I could get away with it. Whereas here, my manager doesn't speak a word of English. So I really need to try and get my head down and and learn this language to to help me and make my life a bit easier here. So you're in Italy right now. Whereabouts are you? Yeah, so I'm based in Milan. So I signed for AC Milan in the July transfer window. So I've been here for four months and it's been a great start so far. Um, The team are sitting high up in the table. I think we're second at the moment. We've uh, won every game except for we lost 1-0 against Juventus unfortunately at the San Siro. I won player of the month which was great for me and I've started well scoring five in six games so at the moment things are, are going really really well um, and I'm loving my time here in Italy so far. Now I know just a few issues ago in She Kicks magazine Jen you did a feature on Natasha so um, have you been talking about all of all of her journeying around the world? Oh, a little bit. I think probably we'll cover some of the topics we discussed with her in the next 50 minutes or so. And and we'll talk about what a great player Natasha is, but I think it's overlooked as well, like what a mature and knowledgeable voice she is in the women's game and all of her experiences. So I'm a bit worried we're doing this in English. Will anybody understand me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to listen a lot and learn a lot. Yeah, we talked about, you know, there's the elephant in the room is the is the England thing, but her career is, is fascinating in its own right and her goal scoring record speaks for itself. Completely fascinating. We actually discussed, because Jen and I were doing a podcast quite recently, Natasha, we were talking about Valerie Govan and the sort of header... Uh, Hedera, she is in in the league at the moment. And Jen rightly pointed out, you know, you were the last person that were, were nodding in goals like that. I mean, what are your memories when you look back on English football? Because you have been away for some time. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago now. Sometimes I actually was watching back the highlights of the FA Cup final on on social media the other day as well. And 
my memories are really fun. You know, I had some incredible years in England and, you know, winning the FA Cup, winning the double with Liverpool, the League Cup with Everton and obviously representing my country as well. And, you know, for me, the reason why I decided to start travelling is because I felt that, you know, I'd won everything there was to win in England, except for obviously the Champions League. But at that time, realistically, no one in England was going to be winning that trophy with how dominant Leon were. And I just felt that the time was right. I was in and out of the England squads, never really felt as if um, I was maybe given the opportunity that I deserved. And I just felt that, you know, I was 25, 26 and I had the opportunity to go to America with Matt Beard, who I'd played under for many years. And to be honest, in my opinion, it's the best thing I've ever done. You know, it's improved me so much as a player um, and as a person. I've had to go through so many challenging situations with regards to, you know, the folding of the Boston Breakers and, and me not having a team, language barriers, um, being away from home so much, different styles of football. And I feel as well that when you travel and you have to go somewhere new, you always have to prove yourself. When I was playing in England, people had perceptions about me as a player, as a person. And, and sometimes it's very hard, good or bad, to change those perceptions. Whereas when you go to a new country, you're like a fresh face. No one knows you. They've heard of you. They know bits about you. But it's a new challenge where, you know, you want to show everyone how good you are. You want to be the best. You want to achieve new goals. You know, you want to win the golden boot and win and win new trophies. So I love that new challenge. And, and luckily, and fortunately, I've been able to, to win things in Australia, play Champions League again in Sweden. And you know, I have big aspirations here in Milan to win trophies and to get into the Champions League as well. So it's been incredible. And, you know, for me, the last five or six years have, I definitely feel that I'm a much better player now than I was maybe five or six years ago. And, you know, I feel like I have a lot left in me as well. A lot left in you, but you, you run through your career. I don't know about you, Jen, but I was thinking, oh, Tash must be a bit older than I think. But actually, you're still <laughs> early 30s, aren't you? I know. Well, I feel great. I feel the fittest I've ever felt. But every team I go to now, I'm the oldest player. So sometimes, sometimes I don't feel very young. But no, I kind of feel that in my head and in my body. And I think the older you get, you you learn, you know, how to recover better. And you know your body a lot more. And the facilities that the clubs have nowadays to allow us to recover and train. Like I said, I feel stronger and fitter than ever. And you know, I, I look at my partner, Becky, who played till she was 42. So I still have 10 years left to play. That, that's my challenge and my goal. Um, and I just want to try and play at the top level for as long as I can. And as long as I feel that I'm performing and, and you know, playing well and, and doing well for the team that I'm at, then I'm going to continue to do that. Everywhere you've gone, Tash, you have scored goals. Um, I think Jen and I, when, when we're talking about different players coming into WSL now, week in, week out on the WSL edition, we, we talk about a bedding in period. And often you've not needed that. I mean, how rare is that, do you think, Jen? Well, I think that's one of the, the really um, inspiring things, not only about sort of taking yourself out of your comfort zone, which uh, Tats has done so many times now yeah people talk about well you know give them give them a bit of time it's difficult it it doesn't seem to have been a challenge for you at all how how have you done that you know it's a really good point and it's it's a good question I think that I'm the type of player and a lot of players that get to the top level I know they train hard and work hard but behind the scenes I love scoring goals and 
you know, I'm a type of player that every single day I'm getting to training before and I'm staying after and I'm shooting. You know, I'm nagging my coach every single session to let me stay behind and do half an hour, an hour of extra shooting. Whenever I have a day off, I'm dragging Becky along to a field with me and I'm shooting on goal. It's something that, you know, I just have so much passion and joy towards doing is scoring goals. And that's what I live and breathe for. And I feel that a lot of it is to do with the hard work that I put in behind the scenes because I feel that if you practice things time and time again, then instinctively it's going to happen on game day. However, I do feel very proud of myself with the achievements that I've done because, yes, you're right, you, you sign for a new team automatically with regards to language barriers, styles of play. People don't know the type of player you are and you know where you want the ball, how you want the ball. So, of course, it definitely takes in my opinion, sometimes months to to build these relationships with your teammates. But luckily for me, and it's something that I said that I'm very proud of, that every team I've gone to, it has seemed to just click straight away. And whether that's because of my, you know, mindset where I've played the game for so long now, and, you know, as a striker, you have to have that selfish mindset with regards to get in the box, get in the danger areas, like sniff for goals, you know, be alive. And that's the kind of mindset that I have. And don't get me wrong, it hasn't been easy. There's been periods where maybe I've gone four or five, six games into, at times without a goal. And, you know, it's, it is a, a tough situation to be in sometimes where you sign for a new club, you have so much to prove. You know maybe that you don't have, you know, a lot of time to prove yourself because at times I've signed six-month contracts, maybe a year contract, where if I don't hit the ground running, then I might be out the door. Um, so... It is. I think it's a case of, for me, if things aren't going right, I get back to the practice ground and I practice the, the chances that I've missed so that I don't miss the next chance. And when things are going right, I keep telling myself in my head, well, what am I doing so I can continue to do this? And, you know, I write a lot. I reflect a lot. And I think it's just keeping your mind ticking over and, you know, just believing in yourself. And I think that I always believe and I go into every game knowing that I'm going to score a goal and I try and tell myself that that you know I'm the best striker in this game and I'm going to put the ball in the back of the net and I think you have to have that positive mindset to especially as a striker anyway. Were you like that as a 20 year old or have you grown to be like that? I've definitely grown to be like that if I'm being honest I think and especially being in England where people think they know you a lot better than they do and the style of player that you are I had great times in England, but I also think that I was pigeonholed as being a certain player, a back-to-goal striker, you know, someone that holds the ball up, is strong. But I felt like I had a lot more in my game than what people gave me credit for maybe back home in England. You know, I'm not quick, but I'm not slow. You know, I, I can make runs in behind. I'm, I'm a clever player where I can get that half a yard on the defenders. Since I've come abroad, I've definitely mixed up my game a bit more as well and you know, I'm I'm not just a target player now. You know, I like to make runs in behind. You know, I like to dribble and drive at players. So, yeah, I definitely think the older I've got, I've learned to reflect a lot more and, and believe in myself a lot more. You can tell that football is an obsession. I'm going to use that word with you, Tash. It's quite clear. And, and football's brought you so much more than just goals and all these memories because you actually fell in love with a teammate playing football. You've ended up getting married and, and it's become a huge part of your life, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. It's Football's you know, obviously the best thing 
in my life, but also, like you said, brought me so much more than just football. And yes, of course, I met my partner, Becky, playing at Everton. She's helped me massively. You know, I always used to talk about my dad, you know, being my coach and supporting me, taking me everywhere. But without him, but definitely now later on in my career without Becky, I 100% would not have achieved what I've achieved. Because for me, she's someone that I look up to. There's not many people that I've really idolized, if I'm being honest, in football. You know, I've liked the style of play, but someone that mentally, the what she achieved in her career and the way that she was as a player has inspired me. You know, I was lucky enough to play with her at Everton and at Liverpool. And watching her day in, day out, you know, balancing working and playing. And then obviously when we went professional together at Liverpool, the type of person and the type of player that she is, you know, I if I could have 10% of, you know, what she is, then I feel like I've achieved a lot. And she is my idol as, as well as my wife. And, you know, she at the minute has kind of put her career on hold. You know, she's done a master's degree in sports directorship and she's studying a lot, but she's put that on hold to support me and to follow me. And, you know, to be my kind of rock, I guess. And I think, you know, I'm playing not just for myself, but for her and for us also, because I know how much she has done for me. You know, she could be working and being a director of sport. She's been offered many roles in different clubs and she's put that on hold to support me because she knows how important my career is and she knows what I can still achieve. So, yeah, Becky's been, she's my number one. And, you know, I'm just so thankful that I've got her support. For those listening who don't remember Becky Easton playing, because I know that Jen and I do, <laughs> um, I, I think just rock solid is how I describe Becky. And, and some of the tackles that I witnessed firsthand that she would put in, there was no fear at all, was the Jen? Yeah, well, you'll probably remember I was a, a fullback. I remember her playing in midfield and I was unfortunate to play against Everton sides and Donny Bell sides and we'd get our asses whooped quite often. Great one-touch football that uh, particularly Everton played but I know Becky had a, a great time at Donny Bell's as well so she was a, a really sound central midfielder as well given the armband I think by Hope Powell around about 2001 and then had it whipped away again. <laughs> Some strange decisions made um, by a, a certain England coach which we might mention again at some point uh, but yeah yes. a, a a great player, but also a great character. You know, gave up a lot to play. That's the era when players had full-time jobs. You know, you take your holiday from the NHS to go and play for England at a World Cup or a Euros, and then you, you go back and get on with your day-to-day. So it's an incredible commitment that people had, but she's also a great laugh. Yeah, no, I miss I miss her tackles, to be honest. You don't see many of those now in, in women's football. <laughs> no, and, and I think that set us up be- beautifully, actually, because uh, I know that one of the things that, that you've promised us to be is very outspoken. We, we know that. And I think she's probably given you a, a little bit of encouragement to, to be like that, too. I want to talk about a few different points in your career. We'll, we'll go over that next. We'll take a little break. This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash offside. 
So I'm joined by Jen O'Neill from She Kicks and our guest for this Offside Rule exclusive is Natasha Dowie. Um, Natasha, I think it's time really to just go back and delve into the past a little. I, I wanted to talk about Charlton. I know that you started your career at Watford, you went to Fulham, but I think Charlton's the first team that you, you played for them. You, you ended up in an FA Cup final, that was 2006. I know that you lost that final, but that, that would have been quite a memory for you in your early career to have played that. And then just a year after, they scrapped the team. And so goes the cycle, which we've been become so familiar with in women's football, whereby there are these struggles financially away from the scene, the way that women are trying to forge a career. And this is the first time that you encountered this, was it? Yeah, it was. My year at Charlton was a great year. I remember I was at Fulham under Marianne Spacey and I wasn't getting a lot of playing time. I think I only maybe made one or two appearances all year. And I remember getting a phone call from Keith Bonas, um, the manager there, and Matt Beard was actually his assistant at the time, asking me to sign for Charlton. And I, I mean, I, could, I thought the offer was incredible considering I hadn't been playing a lot. And they really invested in me a lot and trusted me a lot and the support that they gave me throughout that year. And I had a great partnership up front with any other Luco. I remember we scored a lot of goals that season and, and pushed Arsenal uh, for the title. Um, and like you said, made my first uh, FA Cup final appearance. And for me, I was an 18-year-old kid. So obviously you want to win the game, but also just the experience of being there and playing against, you know, that Arsenal team that had dominated women's football for, you know, so many years. It it was an incredible year and it was just so sad how it had to end um, with obviously Charlton men getting relegated and then the women's team folding. And at the time, you know, it was a big decision for me what to do. Um, I actually had a meeting with Vic Akers at Arsenal. He wanted to bring me to the club. It was a 15-minute drive away from where I lived in Harpenden. You know, they were the team to beat, the best team in women's football. Um, but I also was having conversations with Mo Marley, who was my England under-19s manager at the time. And Everton were, you know, the up-and-coming team as well, pushing the likes of the Charltons and Arsenals of the women's game. And you know, it seems crazy to have made the decision I did, but I also believe in fate. But I decided to go for Everton, you know, for less money, you know, traveling four hours up the M1 and then four hours back. I wasn't able to train full time with the team because it was just too much travel. So I actually trained with Barnett um, and Tracy Kevins, who was good friends with uh, Mo Marley, just to keep my fitness up. But yeah, that's the decision I made. And, and I feel that you know, looking looking back now, it definitely was the right decision because look at, you know, what I've found from Everton, you know, my, my wife and the things that I've gone on to do. Um, and I've kind of always had that mindset that I've never wanted anything to be easy. And I felt that maybe signing for Arsenal, it would have been easy for me. I would have been scoring goals every week. We would have been winning titles, which is obviously great. But I kind of loved that idea of going to a club and being the underdog and and knocking Arsenal off their pedestal. <laughs> well, at that time, Jen, I think you need to give it some context here of, of what turning down Arsenal is sort of the equivalent of deciding to do a four-hour trip up the motorway instead. <laughs> well, I can't really even think of a team in the men's game to equivalent, you know, the whole, they, they won everything. I think about 12, 13 titles in a row and every cup competition pretty much bear the the odd one. It was a, a pure hegemony. They were they really were the the team to to play for. Girls wanted Arsenal shirts because they wanted to grow up to play for Arsenal. 
So is is there an element of respect listening back to this now, what Tash is saying, that you think, wow, what a brave decision. At the time, you must have been scratching your head. You played too. You must have been thinking, what's she doing? <laughs> oh, I can kind of understand it, though, because I think it's just a certain mentality that certain people have. And I identify with that, that you you want to be part of the usurper. You want to try and sort of turn something over. And Everton were, you know, they'd won the league in 98 Becky Eason played for them then and Mo Marley and then they they wanted to come back and do it again and Mo Marley was bringing in these young players like Jill Scott as well as, as Tash and they were starting to build something again so it was exciting it, it was important because Charlton had been so close and I think Keith Bonus had even tried to to take Jane Ludlow and Kira Grant and players like that away from Arsenal and it hadn't quite worked. He hadn't tried to break up this amazing team that they had because they won the quadruple, remember, in 2007. That's how strong they were. Um, so, yeah, it was brilliant that Everton took over the mantle of Charlton of, of being the team to, to give them a, a bit of a nudge. And they really did, Tash. I mean, how much of a motivator was this? I mean, you, you literally said it at the end there to knock Arsenal off their pedestal. How much did that motivate you? Yeah, it definitely did. You know, the team that they had there was incredible. And, and when you win things, I've been in teams where you've won titles and then, you know, you go up against teams and they always up their game. And, and it's hard to, to win things back to back, you know, let alone once, let alone twice. But the way that they did it year after year after year, I, you know, you, you had to respect the team and what they'd achieved. But, you know, I remember our first victory against them in the League Cup final and beating them and how great it felt to see those players that were so used to winning week in, week out, you know, you could just tell on their faces that they just weren't used to it. And then to go on and then beat them in the FA Cup final, you know, still to this day, it's one of the best days of my playing career. And, you know, for me, you know, the sickening thing was that last game of the season um, at Widnes, where all we had to do was to draw the game against Arsenal to win the league. And we ended up losing 1-0 and losing on goal difference. I mean, that's still hurts so much and has that painful feeling in my belly that you know we came that close you know to to beating Arsenal and winning the title but luckily for me the next year I ended up going on and winning it with Liverpool back to back so you know sometimes I think it's sad that I look how strong that Everton team was and I look at the players that were involved they're the likes of Farrah Williams, Jill Scott, Nikita Paris, Tony Duggan you know some of the players that we had if we had maybe stayed together for longer, what we could have achieved. But obviously it wasn't meant to be. That, that League Cup final when Amy Kane scored, that sort of sent yeah. shockwaves through the game a little bit. It was a freezing cold night, but that win made people realise that Arsenal weren't unbeatable. And, and that, that sort of led to that 2009 run you're saying and the heartbreaking finale when it didn't quite get over the line. And the, the goal he scored in the FA Cup final is still probably one of the most iconic in the terms of the celebration and leaping into the crowd. It's wonderful. Wasn't that something like the 119th minute or something? Yeah, 118th. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm not... I, I could People could say I'm being biased, but in my opinion, that's still, I think, the best FA Cup final. Just the way that it... You know, we were the underdogs, how dominant Arsenal were, the way, you know, we went 1-0 up, then 1-1, 2-1 up, 2-2, and with two minutes to go... Yeah, I, I love watching it back. You know, someone, obviously the FA Cup finals this weekend and someone tagged me in, in the in the clip yesterday on social media and just watching the game back, I got goosebumps. I started crying again and it was, it was just such an incredible day and occasion. And 
yeah, my dad still plays that goal to all his friends even 10 years later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the time that I got to really know you, Tash and Becky, was when you were both at Liverpool. Uh, You left Everton with Farrah Williams at the same time to join Liverpool, didn't you? Yeah. Now, you were top scorer in 2013 in the WSL. Uh, So I think it was something like 13 in 14, 13 goals in 14 games. And you got Players Player of the Year. It was all to do with you, 2013. I remember, you know, you were the, the player everybody was talking about. Yet when it came to England you weren't really getting the look in. And I think we've got to come on to talk about this because when you're in that rich vein of form, you must have been questioning what was going on. Yeah, you know, I get, I still get asked this question a lot and probably less than normal because it has been so long now since I represented my country. And I think the older I've got now, I've it's become easier to take. Maybe four, four or five years ago, it was a little bit harder to take when I wasn't getting selected and I was scoring the goals that I was scoring. It's a good question. I think that I scored goals wherever I I went. And yes, that year I was top goal scorer and I was in great form. And I was involved in the senior team and and Hope Power would, you know, give me, you know, the odd game here or there. Um, But but not really, um, you know, ever allowed me to start a game or maybe get a couple of games under my belt where I could, you know, get that opportunity to maybe show really what I could do on the international level. And you know, for me, whatever the reasons were, you know, you can you can overthink everything. Was I the type of player that she liked? Maybe not. Maybe was I a little bit more of an outspoken character or had an opinion maybe more than other players? Was I more of a challenging player? Who knows? For me, I have no regrets. Every single England camp and every single England trip that I got selected for, I always gave 100%. That's the type of person that I am and the type of player that I am. You know, I I play with my heart on my sleeve. You know, I'm a very emotional player. You know, winning to me is everything. And yes, at times, maybe I've been a little bit more outspoken than other players. Has that gone against me? Maybe it has, but that's the type of person that I am. And if you speak to any teammates or any managers that have played with me and coached me, I would hope and be very confident that they would say that I was the ultimate professional. I was never a problem to work with. I've always prided myself on being the first to training and the last to leave. And of course, I would have loved to have played for my country more. And I feel like I deserve to have played for my country more. And I think actually I really could have helped my country achieve more. Because, yes, you look at the strikers now. There's some great players in the England team. And the squad is incredible. And the talent they have is incredible. But I'm a goal scorer. And I actually think that that's hard to come by, you know, someone that has that real instinct to score goals. And and that's what I do best. And I feel that I definitely could have achieved a lot with the England national team. But, you know, it it is what it is. It's one person's opinion. So obviously Hope Powell had her reasons why she didn't give me a chance. Brent Hills gave me a few more games, but still not enough. And then under Mark Sampson, you know, he, he involved me a little bit more leading up to the World Cup, but then uh, basically decided to cut me and not involve me in the World Cup. And we, ha- I had a conversation, quite a frank conversation with Mark Sampson before the World Cup trip. And he kind of said it was touch and go between me and Leanne Sanderson on who he was going to select for the World Cup. And he did ask me the question of, you know, Tash, maybe you and Leanne, you're not going to get a lot of game time in the World Cup. You're probably going to be a squad player a little bit more of a cheerleader to support the team and, you know, be that support on the bench. And I just said to him, 
And quite frankly, if if you're telling me that I'm going to go to a World Cup and not get any game time, that's not me. That's not the type of player that I am. I need to know that that I've got at least a chance. You know, that if I'm training well and I'm playing well, that I'm going to have a chance. And if I'm not going to have a chance, then maybe Leanne's the better player to take for you. Maybe she's the better character to have around the changing room and, and she can maybe accept that she's not going to play, but she'll be there as, like he said, a cheerleader supporting the girls and being a positive voice on the bench. So he ended up choosing her and that's the decision and that's the kind of thing I said to him because that's me as a player. I, I'm i never going to accept not having that opportunity to play. I, I can't just sit there um, and accept that. And whether that's wrong or right, I don't know. That's people's opinions. But yeah, so that's why I probably ended up not going to the World Cup. So yeah, there's a lot of stories along the way and a lot of ups and downs. But you know what, as well, I'm sitting here and I'm 32. I still haven't given up on my England career. I'm telling you that now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because I think I'm still good enough and I'm scoring goals. I'm playing for AC Milan. I'm in a competitive league. You know, if we win the league this year, if we make Champions League, you know, in my head, I can still play for England and I still want to play for England. And I will never shy away from that. When you consider timing, and and I wonder what Jen makes of this as well, because Euro 2013, as we say, in particular that year, you were in the best form of your life, probably. And going into 2015 World Cup as well, you know, I think there were a lot of people that in within the women's game thought that you should have been included. Now, that tournament changed things a little it meant that there was a lot more focus on the Lionesses and we've seen the game grow now and the WSL grow to the way that it has. So if someone was to be left out of your calibre now, I wonder if Jen would think this too. I think there would be an almighty pressure from the press, from the media that didn't have the sway or the influence that it does now to get that player reinstated. I see a lot of questions about Gemma Bonner at the moment, for instance, in the press and why she isn't included to Phil Neville. Whereas that wasn't happening with you at that time because there wasn't really the voice and there wasn't the the money being put behind having journalists in the game as much. And I wonder whether that would have been a game changer, Jen. In in twenty thirteen, I think you're right, that was when there was a you know, that was where things changed, but that was after the tournament. If you look at twenty thirteen and to an extent twenty fifteen because and he didn't really get a chance to play as a, a striker. England were desperately, <laughs> desperately in need of a goal scorer, and yet there was one at home. It's it was just it's mind blowing really when you think about it in hindsight. The domination of of Natasha in terms of the end of season awards of 2013 because of how good she'd been, and that's from her peers. You know, that's players, player awards, etc. That's how good she was, and, it, and she hadn't got any worse. You know, that that talent hadn't gone anywhere. So then to to be missing it again in 2015, and if you look at the impact that Jodie Taylor made in 2017 at 31, I think, and then Ellen White in 2019, it just shows you how important having an informed striker is at a big tournament. And yes, I don't think that there was the clamour, there wasn't the noise or the pressure to, to include players at that point, not enough to, to sway decisions. But Hope Powell, for example, wouldn't have been swayed. She, she's an example of a coach, I think, I might be wrong, um, who makes a decision about a player and then does not want to change that opinion, no matter what the evidence in front of her may suggest. Correct. Would you agree with that, Tash? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um... 
you know, working under hope for as long as I did. I think I was 18 when I first got my senior call up after the under 20s World Cup in Chile. And yes, uh, unfortunately, her as a coach, when she had an impression of you or an opinion of you, nothing you could do would change that. So yeah, I think that's where maybe I fell short with her. She obviously had some sort of idea or something against me as a person or a player, um, whatever that was. I remember I was in the senior team for five or six years, never received a central contract off of her, was the only player that didn't get one. She, Yeah, she definitely was that type of coach that once she had an idea about you, nothing was going to change. Um, and that was that was sad, really. And I think because she was involved for so long and managed for so long, a lot of good players missed out on maybe having international careers. And a lot of players actually even take Becky, for instance, she doesn't talk too much about her international career because I think she feels a little bit sad about how it ended. I think she was 28, 29, Players Player of the Year, I think Jen said was captain and then all of a sudden was cut completely, never played for England again. And from what I've heard, it is because she was too old. <laughs> well, she went on and played till she was 42 at the top level. So yeah, there's a lot of sad cases that have, uh, that have happened in international football and I think maybe that's made me even more determined to make the most of my club career because of how my international career has in my opinion been a little bit unfair I feel like now I think well I'm definitely not going to let that happen with my you know my career and my club career and so that's why I've probably done as much as I've done. Well I'd like to ask you more about your club career next and we'll we'll talk about Boston Breakers. You are listening to an Offside Rule exclusive with Natasha Dowie. I'm joined by Jen O'Neill from She Kicks magazine. And uh, I think just to round off this uh, chat, Natasha, I think we, we have to talk about America and, and playing out there. You went out to Boston Breakers to join up with Matt Beard in 2017. Uh, once again, top goal scorer, might I add, for them. And the thing that I wanted to really talk about is the fact that on a couple of occasions for them, you got given the captain's armband. And I wondered if it's something in your career that you would have liked to have had a bit more and maybe you 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 will do with AC Milan yeah going to America was such an exciting thing for me you know I remember as a kid watching Bend It Like Beckham and you know it's just everyone's dream in my opinion is to play in America the biggest league or was in my opinion the biggest league um, in the world in women's football and when I went out there I didn't really realize the struggle that maybe Boston were in at the time I was just just so excited to have the opportunity to play in the NWSL and Look, it was a tough two years with regards to the football-wise because, you know, the team struggled. You know, we we had a very inexperienced team. You know, we didn't have any big superstar US international players. You know, so we were down the bottom of the table fighting pretty much every year. But I still loved every minute of it. You know, the, the mindset, the mentality, the ruthlessness of the Americans, for me, it was a big eye-opener to how American sport is. The style of play, I wasn't used to that style of play of, you know, very transitional, end-to-end, you know, who can run the fastest, who can run the most. You know, I was very, I was used to playing in England where it is a lot more tactical, possession-based football. So to go to America, it definitely improved my fitness levels. And, you know, you had to adapt your style of play for sure to survive out there. And it was challenging two years it definitely wasn't an easy two years but like I said loved every minute of it made some great friends living out there 
was happy to, like you say, get golden boot for the two seasons that I was there. And sad to see the team and the franchise fold completely. You know, it was heartbreaking because we had such a great support base in Boston. I made some great friends from the fans that were there week in, week out. And it was sad to see them lose a team and to lose so many players that their kids looked up to and idolised. But like you said, with the captain armbands, um, at the time, Julie King, our captain, was injured. Matt Beard decided to give me the armband, which was a huge honour um, as I was only new to the club. But it's something that I've had the opportunity to do in Australia. Uh, for the five years that I was playing for Melbourne Victory, I was actually the captain of the club there. And, and it's something that has helped me a lot as a player because as a striker, you naturally have a selfish mindset. You know, you focus on yourself you know you need to score goals and you have a little bit of a different mindset I think than other players in the team because you have so much pressure on you to to score Um, but when I became captain I couldn't just worry about myself I had to worry about you know everyone else and you know individuals and and what they needed and and how you had to act around certain individuals checking up on people and and when I first got given that captain's armband I didn't know how to act to be honest I was worrying so much about was everyone okay should I be doing this should I be saying this what should I say in the team talks in the huddles should I be arranging team get-togethers and you know it was a little bit overwhelming at first but the longer I've become captain now and the more years I've become um, a captain in Australia I think that in my opinion I try to just lead by what I do on the football pitch and I think that the type of person that I am. And if the players look at me, I want them to follow in my footsteps. So I'm doing everything right at training. I'm eating the right things. I'm recovering right. Like I said, I'm the first to training. I'm always an hour, hour and a half early. I stay behind. I do extra. And I want then the younger players and even the older players to be looking at that and thinking, okay, that's what it takes to to be the best or to be playing at the top level. So that's what I need to do. And Now, when I'm captain or when I was captain, that's all I worry about is making sure that, you know, checking in on people, but just leading by example and being that type of player that players can feel comfortable to go to. And whether or not I get the captain's armband here, to me, it's just an armband. You know, I want players in my team here at AC Milan to look at me and think, wow, like she does things properly. You know, she doesn't leave any stone unturned. And hopefully players look at me and you know, I can inspire players and players can learn from me maybe and want to ask me questions and and I want to help the younger players as well because, you know, I have travelled a lot and I know that when I was younger, I was always asking questions of the older players. I was fascinated by what they did, what they ate, um, how they recovered, you know, what training they did. And even now at AC Milan, my manager played for AC Milan and played for Italy and he played at the top level. And I'm always asking him questions of, of what he used to do when he was a professional. He played with the likes of Ronaldo. You know, I'm asking him to do different finishing sessions with me. And because I'm not perfect, I still got a lot to improve on. And 
I feel that until I retire, I want to always be learning every day something new. Jen, it isn't very often that we see strikers get given the armband. And I think that's because of that selfish streak that you need to be a really prolific forward. And often managers don't want to detract from that. They want them just to focus on scoring goals. What does it say when when players like Natasha are picked out for that? Yeah, well, you can think of maybe Alan Shearer. I mean, it's not, you're right, it just doesn't happen that often. Maybe a, a Troy Deeney, it's somebody who who sets the standards. And we have a feature in the magazine, which is um, Captain's Chat, actually talking to skippers about, you know, what they've learned and experiences and their styles. And what Natasha's talking about is a lot of them have a bit of a mini existential crisis when they're given the armband. It's like, what, what am I supposed to do? But actually, they all realise sometimes fairly quickly that it is about setting the standard that is why you were given it in the first place because you are that personality and also to be approachable and and not to change who you are because you were given that responsibility because of the type of player and the type of person that you are and and you are that leader and it sometimes it empowers people to actually stop worrying about everybody else and if they play well then people will follow them it's a sometimes people think it's a, a massive thing it is important and it and it is a, a sort of badge of honour and a, a backing for your manager. But also it's just about being the sort of doing what you've always done and doing it the best that you can. Clearly something that you've experienced many times, Tash, is this folding of teams. You know, we mentioned it earlier with Charlton. You just touched on it and what happened out with Boston Breakers. And I wanted to speak to you about Liverpool now. I know that they haven't folded, but... They, they have been relegated after winning back-to-back titles. Did you see that they might not be punching for a continuous amount of time at the top of the WSL? I, I support the club. However, at times it was a little bit disappointing to see maybe, not the lack of support, but just not as much support as maybe the likes of City, Chelsea, Arsenal were getting. You know, even when we won the league back-to-back, Beardy was always knocking on the door, asking for more, because he knew that eventually teams like the Man Cities were going to start knocking and improving and and taking the bar to the next level, which they did. And then I think the problem was is that these clubs like the Cities, Chelsea's, Arsenal's, they went to the next level and we just didn't. And no matter how much you say, money does help because it allows you to bring in the best players and especially now in the women's game, the money is frightening. Like I, I hear rumours about what certain players are getting paid now in the FAWSL and, and it's crazy money. And there is no coincidence why now, unfortunately, you're seeing nine, ten nil results because you have players who are on, you know, millions of pounds and other players that are on 20, 30,000 pounds. And you can't, you can't compete. And I think... For me, yes, I, I did see it coming. Maybe not the relegation side of things. I, that That's really saddened me to see that happen. However, I think and I hope from hearing things, you know, through the grapevine that this really has been a big wake-up call for them and they're really going to start to hopefully invest in the women's team. But for me, it's not just about the money things now. You know, Liverpool need to build their reputation back again because... You want to go and play for them, not just because it's Liverpool Football Club, but as a player, you want to know that they really are meaning to turn things around there. You know, I see the training ground and the facilities that they're building for the men's team 
rumour has it that the women's team aren't going to be training there, that they're still going to be training over at Tranmere. For me, that's not good enough. You know, they need to be involved, you know, like the Cities do, like the Arsenals do, like the Chelsea's do, like the United's do. And I think that's where things need to change and they need to realise that. If you're going to have a women's team, then you need to invest. If not, don't have a women's team. And especially the size of Liverpool and how incredible the club is and the history of the club and how successful the men's team are right now, they can't not invest in their women's team. So I really, really hope more than ever that they can obviously, one, get out of that league and get back into the top division, but then not just be a team that's making up numbers. They need to be up there again competing and I would love nothing more than to see that. But there's a lot of things that need to change behind the scenes and whether or not that's going to happen, I don't know. But yeah, I hope it does. I hope I, I really, really hope things do change there because if not, it would be in my eyes a bit of a travesty. I suppose on on one level, the fact that you know teams are being attached to the, the men's sides more and more that we're seeing. You know, you've got Spurs women, Spurs men, Man United women that joined Man United men's team, and and they've got that association, like you say. When it is the bigger clubs, I suppose you don't fear that they're going to go under completely. Whereas you maybe would have done with you know Donny Bell's, for instance. Yeah. But there's also that fact that they they're never going to get the equal footing. Is that your overall sense? it's hard to say and I think with Liverpool the problem was as well is you look at the kind of the couple of years that they've had recently and it has been very up and down with managers leaving and there's been no um, you know no stability really and I think that's probably the big reason why they unfortunately ended up getting relegated is because there was so much going behind the scenes and you know it's hard then to kind of be performing week in week out when you know players there's so many unknowns and you know I was uh, Vicky was very kind to let me train with the team before I went to Australia before I went um, to Norway you know in between seasons I would go and train with the girls and they had a great bunch of girls there and you know all were there for the right reasons and but for me it was just there was just always that uncertainty and there was no real kind of stability which I think was a big problem there I just think it could be so special. You know, you just look, like I said, at the size of Liverpool and what they, what United have done in such a short amount of time, what City did in so, such a short amount of time. They could turn this around very quickly if they really are invested in it. And they've got, you know, in my opinion, two or three players that are very good in that Liverpool team. But to be competing again at that top, top level, you know, it they would need to obviously, like I said, inv- invest in you know, a lot more players that have, you know, that experience of the top level. Jen, does that resonate with you? Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, Casey Stoney, who's obviously a former teammate of Natasha's at a couple of different clubs, has said that you know, about Liverpool, that hopefully this is a chance for them to reboot, to restart, having gone down and then to to look at what they're actually going to do and whether they're going to take it seriously and invest. Because as a club, it's a total contradiction to have a the side who are champions of the Premier League and winning European titles and then just neglecting because that's what it feels like a little bit the, the women's side and yet they do have some very very good players so all is not lost and there's there's still time to turn things around slightly off topic in a way but Donny Bell's played Croydon in the cup final 20 years ago as the last time we had sort of independent sides in a, a top women's 
final. Actually, Becky played wow. in that. And we're not going to see that happen ever again. It, it has to be about men's clubs' investment now. That Whether you like it or not, that is the way that the game is going. Glasgow City in the last eight in the Champions League in this summer. You know, that they're sort of like the, the dying embers almost of of independent clubs, Frankfurt and Tiraso and Potsdam. We're not going to see them winning Champions League in the future. Maybe AC Milan? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you as well that Liverpool did approach me uh, before I signed for Milan. And look, my home's in Liverpool. Becky supports the club, you know, and a lot. it ticks a lot of boxes, you know, the opportunity to come back home. You know, I've been away for so long, maybe an opportunity to get myself back into the England fold. But... This is what I mean about behind the scenes. I didn't feel deep, deep in my heart at the time that maybe the club was still not going in the right direction. And one, because I didn't want to play in the second division. If I'm being completely honest, I felt that I had more about me than that. But even as a player myself, like the opportunity to to play for Liverpool again, of course I would love to. So that's why I want things to turn around because there could be opportunities for myself maybe to come back and play in England eventually. I was in talks with a few clubs, Reading, you know, United before I came to Milan as well. So, you know, I'd love nothing more than one day to be able to come back and and play in England again, play in front of my family. And But I think that deep down, this is where Liverpool need to show signs that they are going in the right direction. They are changing behind the scenes, not just that they can offer you, you know, a lot of money, that's never been an incentive for me, if I'm being honest. You know, someone could offer me a hundred grand, um, but if I didn't think that the team was going in the right direction, then I wouldn't go there. So I think that's where Liverpool need to really kind of like invest and show that that they're going to go up, but also everything around the club. You know, they are part of Liverpool Football Club, not just that they're wearing the the badge. Um, I think that's really important. We already know that your aim is to play to 42, Tash. So there's plenty of playing years left. We might see you in those Liverpool colours at some point. But something I have spotted is that you, uh, under the the radar, I don't think as many people are aware, you've been doing your coaching qualifications. And are you thinking about that potentially going forward as well? Yeah, God, I'd love to get them all completed. But when you're playing, it just seems to get harder and harder. So I did my UA for B a long time ago, probably five or six years ago now, and then started my A licence when I actually signed for Donny Bell. So that would have been five years ago now, four or five years ago. And it's something that I really am passionate about. Of course, I want to stay in the game and I would love to get involved in the coaching and management side of things. I haven't yet been able to complete my A licence. One, because you need to be coaching and managing a team pretty much full-time. Um, which I'm not able to do at the moment because I'm obviously still playing. But I will definitely be getting um, my A licence at some point. Probably not the best country to be practising my coaching, seeing as I don't speak Italian. But I hope that eventually... <laughs> challenge. Yeah, yeah, I hope that eventually I'll have the opportunity to to get that and get that qualification by the time I finish playing. Um, so the coaching side of things, but also... When I was in Australia, I was working for Fox Sports as a co-commentator in games and also as a guest on the panels um, pre and post games. And it's something that really I fell in love with more than I thought I would. And probably even more than the coaching side of things, that's something that I definitely want to get involved in when I finish playing is is being 
a part of the media side of things um, in in sport and in football. So they're they're my two passions. Well, you can always turn to your uncle Ian Dowie for both because yes. I mean he coached and he's been on Soccer Saturday, so Definitely. he can give you some tips there. <laughs> um, am, am I right? I mean, Jen might know more about this, but um, you say that you haven't really done much hands-on or had that ability. Or it's clearly, whilst you're in Italy, you can't do as much of that. But uh, am I right in reading that you did take a Watford team and you were coaching? Yep. Yes, yeah. I was. Yeah, when I was at Watford. Um, I did a lot of coaching there and also worked uh, when I was at Liverpool at the Centre of Excellence, coaching at the academy there. And also in Australia this year or for the last five years when I've been out there, I've been working with the under 18 Melbourne Victory Boys team um, at the academy, coaching um, full time there as well. So I've definitely been getting that coaching experience under my belt over the last four or five years just to keep, because I think it helps you a lot as a player when you coach as well. It completely you know, changes your mindset and allows you to understand the game more. And, you know, I think you become a student of the game. And I definitely think the best players are the players that, you know, have coached or have managed because you can then know everyone's position and what you expect of everyone. So um, I'm trying to keep my coaching mindset as well as my playing mindset fresh as much as I can. Jen, there's a, a lot of similarities, I think, between Natasha and Farrah Williams. They moved to Liverpool at the same time. But when it comes to the coaching and that mentality, they're, they're quite similar. Yeah, I don't think Tash talks as fast or as much as Farrah, perhaps. <laughs> I think the Italian girls would say different. They, all, they can't understand me. They say, you talk so fast. <laughs> I think it's so exciting. And I can't wait for this sort of generation that grew up or and played sort of emerged in the game in the in the noughties, as it were, who are taking their coaching badges to 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 start taking charge of teams. It's not too far off, and we're already starting to see the first sort of wave with Karen Hills and Casey Stoney, and um, it's it's going to be so exciting to to see those players, you know, getting on the on the coaching yeah. field, but also also the pundits. I mean, if you look at Tash has already done a great job in Australia in 2015 World Cup, although some people might not have thought it. And then, yeah. you know, you, and, and we're getting Karen Carney and, and Alex Scott, and it's such a, it's a breath of fresh air, it really is. Yeah, it's great. I was actually talking to Hillsy, Karen Hills, the other day uh, via um, text messages, and it's great to see her because um, Hillsy was never like a big England international superstar. I used to love playing with her at Charlton and I said to her via text message that you know she's a type of uh, player and coach that I would love to play under just because of the player that she was she was so passionate always played with a heart on her sleeve and I think it's great how she's got to where she has and she's done it the hard way as well you know it hasn't just been given to her or um, and I think you know it's great to see them type of players um, coaching now at the top level. I'm not sure whether I'd like that joint role though, Tash. You know, she's like co-head yeah. coach, isn't she? I know, I've heard that. I actually, um, Becky mentioned that the other day. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to have it all the control or none, I think. I know, I can't imagine Hilsey being very good at that either. <laughs> um, I'm going to hand over to Jen to finish this one off because Jen's been doing a lot on uh, players' music and playlists. Yeah, okay. so. Well, it was, this is serendipity or was it a coincidence that... We got this press release through the other day that AC Milan are wanting their 450 million fans on social media to get closer to the team and engage with what they're listening to. So I've got the playlist apparently chosen by the AC Milan women's team 
Do you know anything about this? Do you know what? Actually, it's funny you say that. Our media woman, Ilaria, sent me mm. something yesterday about a playlist. So I think you probably know better than me. Maybe I should have looked at that before this interview. <laughs> oh, I was wondering what you would have chosen to put on that playlist and if any of them are yours. Because there's Dua Lipa, oh, the script. Oh, 100% that would have been me, Dua Lipa. Oh, right, okay, then. There you don't, don't start now. Yes. Then. That, that was top of yes. the list. That's you. That is. Uh, I mean, that's my kind of music. I love... You know, I, I'm a very big R&B girl. Um, I actually like my soul music as well. That's more through my mum and dad's and maybe my Luther Vandross. But no, I I love a good R&B um, where I can dance to. And, and I love to sing as well. Me and a couple of my good friends here in Milan, our car journeys to training are the best. Blast the music and we just go crazy. <laughs> yes, Lindsay, we need everybody to know how good a singer she is. She's, she's she's being shy, but no. no, no, no. This is that is definitely not happening. <laughs> I've been way too open as it is. You are not getting any singing from me. I'm sorry. Well, that's about all we've got time for for this show. Thank you very much to Jen and of course to Natasha. We hope you enjoy the rest of your season. Good luck, and we will be keeping an eye on how you're getting on. We'd also like to urge everyone who's listened to this to give it a review wherever you get your podcasts, a five star one preferably. It does help other people find it there is a back catalogue of offside rule exclusives that you can find they are timeless episodes so go back and listen whenever you get the chance we'll be back again with another soon in the meantime we'll have the wsl edition back next week you've been listening to the offside rule wsl edition part of the athletic podcast network keep up to date with everything offside rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at offside rule pod on twitter and insta Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Money Knees Media production. Money Knees Media.